Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in Chicago. My name is Pastor Joel Hess, and uh, what a joy it is to preach the good news to you. May God bless your ears and heart that you have the hope and peace that we have in Jesus Christ, and that the Lord changes your view of the world, that you see things as He does with the love of His Son, Jesus. If you want to support His mission here at St. James through Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org and donate. Thank you for listening. Why are you troubled? Jesus asks. He asks in the context of what we're going to talk about in a little bit, but uh, are you troubled? Why are you troubled? Why are you frustrated? What is upsetting you today? Maybe it's something personal. Maybe it's the state of this country Maybe it's the city of Chicago. What is frustrating you? Maybe it's the events of the last couple of weeks. Why are you troubled? We get like that. We celebrate Easter. Easter's awesome. We had a beautiful Easter service, beautiful day. Uh, And yes, indeed, uh, Julie uh, set out baskets of candy and one for me as well. But the next Sunday... uh, I woke up like a little kid and ran downstairs, and there was no basket of candy. Imagine that. Uh, The following Sunday today, nothing. Do you feel like that? Uh, One day's great. Jesus is risen. Everything's good. Next Sunday, it ain't so great. It's kind of normal. No more great baskets of candy. You're back to normal life and back to being troubled. That's why Jesus invented church and invented church services. That's very important. He invented church. He invented what we're doing right now. Why? Because our hearts get troubled. And maybe he doesn't give out baskets of candy every Sunday, but I hope you experience a basket of joy and some hope that you're forgiven and that he is risen. And we say... Hallelujah. Let's look at today's text, chapter 24, verse 36 onward. Luke says, while they were still talking about this. That's one thing kind of annoying about pericopes. It's like, well, what's this? What happened right before this? You had those two fellows, disciples of Jesus, who were incredibly disappointed. They followed Jesus for the last couple of years. He was going into Jerusalem and change the world and fix everything, and there will be Easter baskets every day full of candy and everything will be fine. Instead, they watched their hope on a cross. They heard a rumor that he had risen, but he died on a cross as a criminal. It literally blew their minds the opposite of what they expected, so they went back home. And on the way to Emmaus, their home, Jesus visits them. And Jesus visits, but as they're walking, he walks beside them, but he doesn't let them see him because they needed to understand some things first about exactly the job of this Jesus they said they loved. And he explained to them from the Old Testament that the Messiah was supposed to die. That was the plan all along and rise Again, And then he sits down with them as they came to their house, and they had a meal. And as he broke bread, and it looked a lot like Holy Communion, 
Then they saw that he is risen. He is risen. And they went back. That hope, that joy empowered them to go back to Jerusalem, to the danger, to tell the other disciples. And so they come back and they're telling them this, they're talking about it, but the other disciples aren't quite getting it yet. Jesus himself stands among them, just like he did last week, right? In the upper room. He stands among them and he says to them what? What does Jesus say after he rises from the dead? Peace be with you. And he means it. And he gives it. Forgiveness. Done. Your debts paid for. Death conquered. You can have peace today. Because you know tomorrow will be okay. Peace be with you. I hope you see why we do this in the morning. We begin, we hear the word peace a lot. It's not just vain talking. And then we give peace to one another. And that isn't just a hello, how are you doing? That's actually a part of the holy wor- the worship service is to share the peace with one another. When you tell someone else peace, it's a holy resurrection thing. Peace be with you. And they're startled and they're frightened, which is kind of funny. I guess you would be too if suddenly a person who is dead suddenly appears in the midst of you. You'd be freaking out. And I love this reaction because it's real. If I was writing my own religion and I was in the story, I would probably make myself look really good. Jesus rises, I'd be at the tomb, I'd be believing it all, I never would be doubting, and I certainly would be afraid. But if you read all the Gospels, all the writings, all the disciples put themselves in a very bad light. They all look kind of dumb and not believing at all and afraid. And so I love this because it just shows us a real response. Christ appears and they are scared. And then he says this, why are you troubled? Not just momentarily scared because they're looking at a person that should be dead, but just troubled. Why are you in this room? Why are you in this upper room in the dark? Why are you afraid? Why are you discussing? Why are you scared in general? And that's a question for you. What are you afraid of? Why are you afraid? Christ forgives and has given us hope in the resurrection. Why are you troubled, he says. Why do doubts arise in your mind? Then he says, then he does this, look at my hands and my feet, it is I myself, right? Which is not the best grammar, but he's repeating something to make sure they know this is really actually him. Touch me, look. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He is risen. Hallelujah. Physically. Physically risen from the dead. This is Jesus. And this is our future. Not heaven in the sense of floating around immaterially. We confess it every Sunday. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body and life everlasting. We're going to rise again. We're going to be new. We're not going to have a broken brain. We're not going to have a broken attitude or those stupid desires that hurt others and we sometimes stop them and sometimes we do them. 
We're not going to have a broken world. We're going to get along. That's coming. I love what Jesus does next year. After he says this, he shows them the hands and feet. Oh, what's awesome in that new day when you're going to be completely fixed and you're not going to have any more scars, and you're not going to have any more pain. Jesus, notice Jesus, he's risen from the dead, but what does he still have? He shows them his hands and his feet. He shows them this isn't just another guy. This is not, because they all look the same, by the way. Because when you woke up in the morning, you chose what clothes you were wearing, you would just pick tan. <laughs> That's all you're wearing is tan cloths. And your hair would be the same. I mean, everyone looked the same. They didn't have the opportunity to have all kinds of different looks or stores that could give you all sorts of fashions. So how do we know who this is? He shows him his hands and his side. How do you know this is that Jesus? Because this is where they nailed him. This is where they pierced him. Even though he's risen from the dead, those scars are still there. Because forever, for eternity, as we enjoy life together and no longer worrying about the past or sin or death, Jesus among us, physically alive as well, but with those wounds, showing us love and how amazing God's love is for us, that he would suffer this for you. How awesome is that? So Jesus shows him this. It's really me. It's the same Jesus crucified. And then he says this. And I got some theories. I got two theories. He says, do you have anything here to eat? And one theory is he's going to demonstrate that he is, in fact, not a ghost. He's going to eat. Because, you know, when you watch cartoons and a ghost eats, you can see the food go right through them, right? I mean, that's, those are facts, right, about ghosts. But he's going to eat it and drink it, and they're going to witness that he is physically alive right there. It's not a vision. It's not an apparition. He's physically alive because they need to know this because that's such an essential part of what we have in Jesus is a new heaven, a new earth. But part of me also, my second theory is he's been dead for three days. He's starving. He's just practically, do you have anything to eat here? While you guys are, while you guys are scared and everything, uh, can I get to the fridge here because I'm starving? I don't know. You tell me. Finally, I should say three theories. Finally, this request for food goes perfectly along with every resurrection appearance. And quite frankly, whenever you're hanging out with Jesus, have you noticed this? When you hang around with Jesus, you end up getting food and you end up eating. You're always eating and drinking. We will be in the new heaven, new earth. If you love great food, it's coming. You're going to eat and you're going to drink with your loved ones. What I love about this is there's back then, you know, today we think of food as very relative, you know, just you go to McDonald's, grab some food, very practical. As Americans, we're so utilitarian, we can just grab it and we just think it's nourishment. Need some protein so I can keep on moving. But back then, food's precious. You thank God for it every time you got it. And when you had food with others, it was a big deal. It was a fellowship moment. You might not eat again, you might not eat together again. I got to go just for a, a little, little while, just for one day, uh, Friday, and see my mom for her birthday. And what did we do? Hi, mom. She's probably watching out there. We ate some food, took her out for uh, breakfast. Because that's just, there's something about that, isn't it? So here's Jesus eating with his disciples. 
both showing that there is life, that there is hope, but also just fellowshipping and hanging out. We see him on the waters of Galilee when they're fishing. What do they do? They eat food. We see him at the road to Emmaus. What does he do? He eats a meal with them. And what will you be doing one day? You'll be eating a meal with those you have lost. You'll be eating a meal with grandma, with your mom, with your loved one. You'll be enjoying a feast, never having to worry about the next day again because he is risen. Why are your hearts troubled? It's going to be okay. And then he does this. Look, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses the prophets, and the psalms. In other words, Jesus' death is not plan B. This is the whole point. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says Eve's going to have a son that's going to crush Satan's head. Chapter 12 of Genesis, God says, through you all the world's going to be blessed. Chapter 15 of Genesis, Abraham is counted righteousness because he believes in the promise of God. 53, Isaiah, he's going to carry the iniquities of us all. He opens their minds to this, that this is how it's supposed to work. The Messiah, it seems crazy that God would suffer, but that was always the plan. God would die for human beings, for sinners, and three days later rise again. And Jesus said this time and time again, before it even happened. So you can count Jesus' words. If that happened, when he says you're going to rise again, you're going to rise again. When he says you are forgiven, you're forgiven. You can trust his words. He always comes through. And then look what he does next. He opens up scriptures to them. But you can look at something and not see it. We talked about this last week. You can literally look at any, just not just Christianity or religion, but you can look at something and absolutely not see it. You can look at the Bible and read it and not see what it's saying. The Pharisees and the, the Judaism of Jesus' day had the Bible, but they didn't see what it was. They saw a bureaucracy, sin management system where you had to please God. But if you read the Bible, that's not what it says at all in the Old Testament. There's no change of story from the Old to the New Testament. It's the same story. Forgiveness and mercy for sinners, and God was going to send a Messiah who's going to die for all the world and rise again and restore Eden. It's nothing new. But Jesus had to open their eyes to see it, and he does. And he does that for you. May God open your mind to see it in Scripture and to see it in your reality that you are forgiven, that you will rise again. So he does this. And he says, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead. And, and then he says this, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning right here. By nations, ethnicities is what that should be translated as. All ethnicities, all types of people, wherever they came from, every single person should hear that there is hope, that there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. You are witnesses, he says to them, of these things. I'm going to send the promise, what my father has promised, so just wait right here. And indeed, the Holy Spirit comes, and they go out, just as Jesus said. Why are your hearts troubled? You are forgiven. You're going to rise again from the dead. But they are troubled. 
I'm troubled. This country is just lost. And I don't think it's even, it's not our actual issues. I think it's our inability to talk. And I think it's our inability to know what's really happened and what really hasn't. And we watch videos and we hear words. And, and I think that's far more crazier than any sort of physical problem that's going on or even the pandemic. My heart's troubled. Or maybe your heart's troubled because you got bad news about your company, or maybe your heart's troubled because you don't know what your kids are doing. Are they going to grow up? Are they going to be okay? Or maybe your heart's troubled because you had to say goodbye to a spouse, or your marriage is falling apart. Why are your hearts troubled? It's okay if they are, by the way. But no matter what you're going through, you're forgiven. You'll rise again. Jesus does something kind of interesting here. When you think of the essence of Christianity, the essence of what Jesus did, we want to think resurrection, healing, miracles. But what does Jesus say? He says it's necessary that the Christ is going to suffer and rise again. And then he says this, and repentance and forgiveness of sins we preach in his name to all ethnicities, all nations, all peoples. It didn't say you're going to do great miracles and do some cool stuff. But forgiveness of sins, as if that's the most important thing that the church has to offer. And I would say it is. I would say every single problem we're dealing with today, even the recent shooting and all the struggles of what's going on there and why a kid's out at three in the morning, and why, how could a cop make such a crazy mistake? All these things, they all come down to sin at the very essence of our being. You, right here. And they're not going to be solved by fixing everything. You are never going to fix your way out of this. Doesn't mean you shouldn't try. Doesn't mean that jobs that we have that help us make things better and fix things, public servanthood or whatever, or, or protesting are important. Absolutely. We're never going to fix our way out of that because the problem is deeper than this. It's sin. It's a self-centeredness. It's a brokenness. And it begins right at home, and it begins in little ways. The words that you speak, not those people. You're part of the problem. And the same problem of that person you think is just terrible is the same problem you have. It just comes out in different ways. Death isn't even the real problem in the world. Sin is. And forgiveness is the greatest healing. To tell someone they are forgiven. To tell someone that hurt you, you're not going to hold it against them. Changes everything. It removes that barrier. And not just telling them, but treating them as if they had done nothing wrong against you. How much more when God does that. How releasing and freeing that is. Not acceptance, but Forgiveness is forgotten. All what you've done, forgotten by the blood of Jesus Christ. That heals. And let me tell you right now, there's communities here in Chicago need to hear that. Forgiveness. That cop needs to hear that. Forgiveness. That family that uh, allows us, or those neighborhoods, or, or that guy that took, brought that teenager along with them needs to hear that. Forgiveness. You need to hear this. You're forgiven for everything. And that is the center of our lack of peace 
in this world. And that is the most important message this church has for every single person in this city. Not retribution, not judgment, but forgiveness as we have been forgiven. The world is going to get fixed one day when Jesus comes again in glory. It's going to. We are going to live in a city where we all get along, I promise you. We're going to live in a city one day where there will be no racism or prejudice or dysfunction or paranoia. I promise. Right now, forgiveness and speaking it and teaching it and giving it to people right in front of you is what really changes lives, what really gives peace, and what really gives a miracle, changing someone who goes from no hope and despair and guilt to being free and hopeful. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Why are your hearts troubled? In Jesus' name, amen.